why I am engaging with my son is not to compare him to other people. I don't care if he's saying 30 words by the time he's 18 months. I don't care if he's walking at 15 months versus nine months. That's not what's important to me. What's important to me is that I'm engaging with my son to give him the best outcome because of what happened for him. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we have Dr. Mona on the podcast. So Dr. Mona has her own podcast and also an Instagram account, both called Peds Doc Talk. She brings a wealth of information to mothers by weaving in her own stories of motherhood combined with a lot of her expertise as a pediatrician. So Dr. Mona, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. And for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited that we could connect and schedule this and talk with each other. Thank you for the introduction. Also, I am Dr. Mona Amin, a board-certified pediatrician and mom to a toddler. And I started Peds Doc Talk and the platform that that is um, because I wanted to spread education, awareness about child health and wellness, uh, going over everything that we do as parents, um, not only just, you know, nutrition and eating and sleep, but just also the emotional aspect, the psychology of being a parent, because I think we sometimes forget about that. Um, The work that it goes into, you know, clear our insecurities from our mind, um, just be more present and be more aware parents um, to be a better parent for our children. So it's all about that. It's empowerment, it's education, it's everything to just make parents realize that they're doing the best thing that they, they can for their child. We love what you're doing. We're such big fans of yours. So we're excited for this conversation. And we know that you do a lot of work with babies and children. But today we thought we'd start by focusing on the moms that are listening. So your take on why a happier mom makes for a happier family is really refreshing. And it's very, very needed. Many of us are coming out of a very challenging and overwhelming season. We were talking about that right before we pressed record on this interview. And we're looking for a little inspiration as we move more towards normalcy. Can you tell us your take on why women and mama's happiness matters too? Thank you for this question. And I think we often focus so much more on the baby and don't really talk about mom as much. You know, we talk about parenting, we talk about all the things we need to do for baby, but we don't talk about how a mother or a parent needs to understand their own insecurities and their own happiness to better parent their child. So yes, as a pediatrician, my focus is babies, but over the years, I just started noticing trends on, you know, which families seem the most quote unquote happiest. And it wasn't about looking at the kid. It wasn't about looking at the medical conditions the child had. It was looking at the mother. Was she happy in her role? Was she happy with herself? Was she happy with her life? These are the things that I started to notice that a happy mother really did start to mean a happier family. And when I say that, you know, some mothers listening may say, well, you're telling me that if I'm not happy and that's the reason my child is unhappy. That's not the point of that comment. It's more so to understand that if you are not happy, if you don't like something going on in your life, if you have a concern with your job, with your partner, maybe you're not finding joy as a mom, 
what can we do to bring that joy back? And joy does not mean that you're happy every day, right? We need to understand that human emotions exist, that some days you're going to hate what's going on. Some days you're going to feel anxious. Some days you're going to feel like I don't want to do this anymore, but it's the overall sentiment of, Hey, I am so grateful to be a mother. I'm so grateful to have this child that I get to raise. And that is that attitude that I really think serves us well so that we truly can enjoy being a mom and that we can parent our children a little bit better with that clarity of, I am so excited to be in this role, even through all the hard times, even through all the good times, I am going to get through it and we're going to get through it together. Mm, And bringing up the clarity around you don't have to be happy all the time because we do know that there's so many struggles and it's easy for us to just kind of sugarcoat and be like, oh, yes, this is fine. This is fine. But then when you get down to it, if internally you're not feeling great, you can look at the world and think, what am I doing wrong? So I'm so glad that you brought that part up because it can look It can feel that other people have it better than us when in reality, we're all doing just the best that we can. But that fourth trimester, I know for a lot of us, it's extra tough. And a lot of times our expectations, they don't line up to our reality. We think this baby's going to come out and we're going to be just blissful and everything's going to be perfect. And then our bodies look different. We're tired. We're feeling really demanded. And at times... We have some trouble finding time to do the normal human things like eat and brush our teeth and even shower. So can you give our listeners just a few tangible tips, maybe for navigating the fourth trimester better and really finding joy as a new mom? First, I completely agree. I was there too. And it was very hard for me after what we went through with our delivery to kind of say, hey, how can I find that overall joy? So this is really important to first recognize that you're not going to find it to be a completely enjoyable experience, quote unquote. It's going to be hard. It's going to be ugly, if if I should say that. But it is part of that sort of life that we have as new parents. And you will get through it. You'll look back and be like, wow, remember when I used to feel that way? Um, But it is something that will make you stronger if you want to look at it that way. Two major things. I think the biggest form of self-care we can do, that term is thrown around a lot, but self-care can be sometimes a little bit stressful because you're like, I don't have time for self-care. How am I going to put this into my life? This is such a tasky thing that I have to do. But the first thing we can do for self-care is asking for help. So it doesn't even come from us. It comes from understanding that we cannot do this alone. In In the newborn period, in toddler period, any time of your child's life, We are not meant to mother a child alone socially and evolutionarily. We were in a group. We are supposed to be around other people to parent our children. So you need to ask for help. So this may be someone who is your partner, but this may also be someone who is another motherly figure. I often say when you're finding that person that's going to come help you when your baby is born, try to find someone who speaks to you emotionally, who will baby you and mother you in a way that you need so that you can mother your child. Because you don't need help for your baby. You're going to be there for your baby. That's, that's your role. But you need someone to take care of you physically and emotionally. Sometimes it's not your partner. If you are in a relationship with a male, sometimes males can't meet us at that level. So it will be having to be someone who is able to speak to you emotionally. Sometimes it's not going to be your own mother. Maybe you don't have a good relationship with your own mother. Maybe you'll have to hire someone or maybe have a friend come stay with you or maybe just have a friend check in with you that really speaks to what you need as a new mom. 
someone you can talk to, someone that you can say, hey, this sucks, someone that won't always just give you advice, but just maybe listen to you, that's going to be really important. When you do have that help, part two would be doing something for you. I often find that when we become a new parent or mom, we think, okay, well, I have to do this all. I'm the only one that this baby needs. If I'm not with this baby, I'm going to lose a bond. The baby won't know that I love them. And it's just this cycle of it has to be me. But remember, it is a team effort here. You have a partner, you have maybe a loved one who's helping. When they're with you, I want you to just take a moment for yourself and leave the room, leave the building, go for a walk on your own. Your baby will be fine. So when your baby naps, I want you to just get out into fresh air. You're tired. You need to sleep when baby sleeps. And that terminology can be really hard sometimes because you're like, I have so much to do. So if you're not willing to sleep, just take a moment for yourself. If you want to scroll social media, if you want to talk to a friend, but you just need to take five minutes for yourself before you clean pump parts, before you, um, you know, clean anything that needs to be clean until you do a load of laundry. Always take that moment for yourself so that you are prioritizing yourself as much as you're prioritizing that baby. There was so much goodness in that answer. <laughs> there was so much good stuff. I know that when Abby and I both had our first children, we weren't even really that close as friends. But I remember having her over and going for a walk. And we had so much connection during that walk because we were going through the same thing. And we were like really honest with each other. So I think a lot of times if you can find someone that is, you know, close to you, that's had a baby in a relatively similar amount of time. That's when you can like form these really deep friendships because you're going through this common experience. But as I've talked about before, I had quite the plunge into motherhood. I, I truly did. I just was very overwhelmed. It was much harder than I expected. So I've always wished that women were just a little bit more prepared for all of the changes that are to come. And that's one reason that we really love to listen to you and your podcast and one reason that we're behind the mission that you are on. So we're wondering, how do we start to open up these conversations about the behind the scenes to make sure that the moms are well cared for? As a pediatrician, where did your passion for for that part of your mission come from? It really came from looking at all of the mothers who were coming into my office. I started doing this well before I even got pregnant, well before I even had my child. Like I mentioned earlier, it was looking at all of the different moms coming in. Some moms were working four jobs. Some moms had one child. Some had many children with many medical conditions. Some you know, were mothers who had a lot of help. Some had no help. And I just started noticing trends. Like what was I seeing mothers go through? And what was that common denominator that said, hey, they were finding happiness, that they were okay? It also just came from the fact that I'm a very vibey person. I just feel the energy, a lot of people in the room. So when I would see moms and they just seemed stressed, they seemed unhappy, I would start a conversation and say, what can we do? What is going on? What are the barriers to your happiness right now? What do you feel like is really making you tired or stressed out that maybe we can address as a pediatrician? Is it about sleep? Is it about a medical condition your child's having? Coming up with a plan for that family and for that mother to be able to better attack that issue or attack the problem that they may be having. So it really came from that. And also just my 
old school understanding of pediatrics. When I say that, you know, I am a new school pediatrician. I'm new in training. I'm also in a family that has a lot of cultural beliefs on parenting. And I also work with a lot of colleagues who are older doctors who've been practicing for many years. So I add all of those into what I, what I learned. So what I learned, you know, as a modern doctor, as a modern parent, but also the old school things that we do as parents or our parents did as parents, that's not bad advice. It's actually really helpful. And I bridge all of those to see, are we just overdoing things as modern parents? Are we over worrying about things that maybe our parents' generation didn't need to worry about? And is that worry warranted? Or are we bringing that on ourselves? You know, is there something that we can do to reduce that anxiety and say, our parents did this with no social media. Our parents did this with very little help. Our parents did this. What can I do with the resources I have to make this more enjoyable and more fun as a parent? And having people like you and Amy in my close circle, it's so helpful. Amy's also a very vibey person. So I just appreciate people like you because when when we're having a tough day, especially when I'm going to all these appointments with Owen right now, having the pediatrician or the therapist or the doctor reach out and ask not just about him, but ask about me as a mother, it goes a really long way. It goes a really, really long way. And you mentioned this a little bit before, but there are many members of our community who have experienced birth trauma and many more who have had a birth that it really wasn't part of their original plan. So you have personal experience with this with your son, Ryan, and also the nine months that followed. They were really hard for you and your family. So what have you learned from going through this and maybe give some suggestions for how our listeners that maybe experienced this birth trauma can really start on their road to healing? Oh, yes. I, you know, 16 months has gone by and I still have so many memories of the moment. I mean, there's, those will never leave me. And I think one of the big things that I had to learn in this whole process was about letting go. You know, that phrase is something that I think you're going to hear a lot of as a parent and as a mom, but it is very important to recognize it. And sometimes it's going to take a life-changing event to learn to let go. And when I talk about letting go, you know, I have always been very committed, very organized, very determined. I have always had it in my life that if I do something, this outcome's going to happen. This has just been what I've had in my life. You know, you work hard, you get into med school. You work hard in med school, you're going to get into residency. You do this, you're going to get this. But birth trauma shows you that you can't work hard all the time, right? Sometimes things are going to happen that are out of your control. That is what the birth trauma taught me, that you have to learn to let go. You have to learn that the universe or whoever you believe in that decides a lot of the fate that we have in our lives is going to give you what you need and only what you can handle. And, you know, me and my husband talk a lot about the birth trauma. We talk a lot about why it happened. And especially when it was fresh, why us, why us, we are good people. Why would this happen to me? I, I did nothing but treat people well. Like why would the universe give us this? And it's that mentality that I think is so wrong sometimes because we think that bad things should only happen to people who do bad things, right? But no, bad things will happen to good people. Bad things will happen to bad people. It's not the person and their action that's always going to warrant an activity or an event, right? And that's what I think people don't understand. It took me a long time to get there to say, this wasn't my fault. This was something that just happened. I did what I could control. I had a healthy pregnancy. I ate right. I did everything. And sometimes 
life is going to throw you curveballs. And that mentality has really helped. You know, we still struggle. I mean, there's been 16 months that have gone by that we've gone through really hard times. Ryan got sick with like a virus, which as a pediatrician, I would be like, okay, well, it's a virus. It's going to be fine. It triggered a cascade of emotions for us that brought us back to PTSD from the birth trauma. We just imagined him with all the monitors on him. We were in a very dark place when he got sick, even though we knew that that illness was going to be fine. And I think my other tip is recognizing that if you go through trauma, it's going to take you a long time to heal. Even through the initial trauma, it took me a few months. um, I was feeling better and then it came back in waves. And sometimes trauma can look like that, especially if you had something like PTSD or, you know, whatever it may look like. And that is very natural for there to be ebbs and flows for all of a sudden you feel, why am I feeling triggered by this? Why am I feeling strong emotions about an event or about something that's happening months or years later? But it's the recognizing of this, right? It's the non-dismissal of your emotions. It's the, how can I navigate all of these feelings and look at them as normal? Like we said, it's okay to feel the spectrum of human emotion, but also not to live there for too long. I recently went through so much sadness. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was going on in our life with changes and childcare. Ryan was sick. And I was, I'm going to say, I was going through a depressive state. And this was, you know, like a few weeks ago from this recording. And I talked to my husband about it and I said, look, I'm sad. Like I am the saddest I've been since nine months postpartum when I went through a really bad spell. And he said, look, like, what do you need from me? And I'm like, I just need you to validate this. I just need to talk to you. And that's what I need from you. I don't need you to fix it. I just want you to listen to me. And that is what I think we need as moms, right? It's okay to go through hard times. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to not love everything, but we just want to be heard. We just want someone to say, I know that must be really hard for you. And that is okay to feel trauma. That is okay to feel grief. And that last point is grief can look very different to different moms. You know, grief can look like having a medical diagnosis that even to other people may seem not as serious. It can look like you had a C-section versus a vaginal delivery, even if you have a healthy baby. It can look like you're formula feeding instead of breastfeeding or pumping instead of exclusively breastfeeding at the breast. It can look so different but it's your grief and no one can tell you, well, your grief isn't worth it. Your grief isn't enough. It's your grief and you're entitled to feel the feelings because that's the only way we're going to move on. And that's the only way we can be present for ourselves and for our children by recognizing the feelings and feeling validated for them. We're going to take a quick break to bring up our first sponsor for this episode, which is Third Love. Third Love is designed for your perfect fit. They use the measurements from millions of women to help design bras that will give you all day comfort and support. So Abby and I both took the fitting room quiz because did you guys know that 80% of women wear the wrong size bras? The fitting room quiz is fun and it's super Super easy. It takes you through this quiz where you focus on your size, your breast shape. I didn't even know how many different boob shapes there are, current fit issues, your personal style preferences, and then they deliver the bras and underwear that are perfect for you. It worked perfectly for both Abby and I, who we love our third love bras. So if you guys want to join us and try third love out, we know that you can find the perfect fit for you and they are offering our listeners 20% off your first order. You can go to thirdlove.com slash herself now 
and find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's thirdlove.com slash herself for 20% off today. And thank you so much for opening up about your experience, because I think when you have a podcast and you have this big Instagram following and things can look pretty shiny from the outside to know that you have walked through some of these things, even as a pediatrician, you know, being really scared about a virus. I remember the first time my first son got sick and it was very, very scary for me, even though I I knew it was going to be okay. So thank you for validating that. We wanted to focus on birth trauma for one more question because it is so real and it is often very diminished. So once that baby comes out and if he or she is healthy, we kind of start to forget about the mom. If she's suffering, we tell her, you know, but you have a healthy baby, so it it is all worth it. So could you just send some encouragement to those that feel like their feelings have been dismissed? Oh, this still gets me emotional. You know, I, I was dismissed so many times, not even just for my own medical issues, but a lot of well-meaning people, and I have to be very clear about this. Maybe you're listening to this and you've never been through a traumatic event or you've never experienced grief. And you, I know you mean well. I know you're trying to be helpful. But some of the things that were said to us after my son was diagnosed with his stroke were made by well-meaning doctors and family members. Well, he's healthy. Look at him. He's beautiful. He's healthy. Well, it's a good thing you're, doctor, you're a doctor because you, know, you can handle this. And, oh, but he's so cute. Although these are all true things, right? None of them are wrong. Yes, these are all great. When you're hurting, you don't want to hear about the fact that, well, look at this, look at this. You want to hear, yes, it is not right. I don't care that you're a doctor. Your child did not deserve to get a stroke. No child deserves to have a stroke. No child deserves anything in this world like this. It's hard. And even if you are a doctor or whatever profession, it's okay. I think people meant to say that as like, we are able to provide an outcome for him that would be enriching in the home, you know, services, things like that, which is absolutely valid. But when you're going through trauma and when you're going through grief, you don't care about all that. You care about the fact that my healthy pregnancy turned out to be this child who's in the NICU with wires attached, getting an EEG with a diagnosis that we don't know the outcome of. You know, we don't know what his future is going to look like. And at that moment, I don't need to be told all of those things. I need a, this is hurtful and this is painful and I'm here for you. What can I do? What questions can I answer for you? Right? Remember, you are allowed to feel angry. You are allowed to feel upset. You are allowed to grieve the life you thought you were going to have, the delivery you thought you were going to have. These experiences are important. These emotions are important, right? Because if you sweep it under a rug and say, well, this is fine. This is fine. My kid is healthy. Of course they're healthy. And of course, you know, you have positive things to look out for, but you're, you're not getting to the root thing, which is your feelings. You're still feeling that grief, even if you brush it under the rug. And if you don't validate them, and if you don't allow them to come to the surface, you can't heal. And so I think people forget that when they're trying to be helpful, that they think these words will be something very, you know, uplifting, but really, I mean, everyone's different, but my advice is if you feel like someone's hurting, ask them, I am here for you. What can I do for you right now? What do you need from me? Do you want me to listen? Or do you want some advice? I need to know what you need from me. And maybe some people are a little bit less direct like that. But I find that when you open it up as a question, that person who's going through a hard time can really say, I just want to listen. 
for me, I didn't want my friends to send any pictures of their children when my son was in the NICU. It was hard for me when, you know, as a group chat, they'll send pictures of their kids, you know, on the group chat. And I said, I love you all so much, but for right now, please don't send any pictures of your healthy kids. I, I can't take that for myself right now. And they respected that, right? They understood where I was coming from. 16 months later, I don't care anymore, right? But at that time, that's what I needed to move through the grief. That's what I needed when I was in the ICU with my child tied up to wires. I didn't want to see another child running when I didn't know if my child would ever walk. And so it's really important that you understand where that person's coming from and don't try to uplift them by saying these words um, and ask them would be a better advice. And if you are going through grief, remember it does get better in the sense that you will learn to move through the grief. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to forget what happened. It doesn't mean that it won't be a part of you. I think people think that when people forget about a hard time, then it's not part of you anymore. It will always be part of you. It'll always be something that's important and what defines you. But look at it as like, it's also gonna be what makes you a better person. It's also an event that's gonna really help you grow. And through that, you're gonna be an even more amazing mother and even a more amazing person. So it is something we can learn from. Mm, and there's such learning lessons. They're painful in the process, but we can learn and grow from them so much. And this is one of the biggest reasons we wanted you on the podcast, Dr. Mona, because you can speak to it from a pediatrician standpoint, also as a mother standpoint, and also just as a basic human being of the tangible things that we can do to help with our grief, to go through those tough times. And this is a question that gets brought up all the time that I really want your opinion on. And it's the conversation around taming tantrums, especially working with toddlers. It's something that most of our parents want the secret sauce to, to figure out how can we get these toddlers to not have so many tantrums. So in your practice, you've seen hundreds of kiddos and we would love your take on how everything flows together. So as a pediatrician, also as a toddler mom, can you give us your perspective on how eating, sleep, and behavior are all interconnected? Yeah. So I, ca I call this the parenting trifecta, right? Um, Ooh, when I we like look that. at that. Yeah. So when we look at the parenting trifecta, those are the three big things, right? The relationship they have with food. How do we approach um, dissent when they're eating, right? Are they throwing tantrums with food, sleep? Um, how are they sleeping? And this is more important for me in the toddler years. Um, you know, by one years of age, children do have a rhythm that can be created that allows for independent sleep by the age of one. We've seen this in studies, but in that first year, you don't have to sleep train, but in the toddler years, what are you teaching your child in terms of independent sleep and then behavior? The reason why all three are connected is you can imagine, right? If you sleep well, you're going to eat better, right? You're going to less as an adult. Think about it. If you have good night's sleep, you're less likely to make quote unquote, poor eating choices where you're more likely to balance meal, you're well rested, you're less likely to stress eat because when you sleep well, your stress levels are going to be lower. So you're more likely to eat balanced meals in that standpoint. When you eat better, you have less mood swings. Um, you're going to have less, you know, fluctuations in blood sugar. You're going to feel more content. So that can affect behavior. So sleep, eating behavior, it's all connected. Better eaters are better sleepers. Better sleepers are better eaters. All of that has a relationship with how we act. Now, remember, toddlers are going to throw tantrums. Even if they're sleeping through the night, even if they eat all of their meals, they're going to throw tantrums. But it's important to understand are we setting some boundaries here with all of these things? You know, is it that we're not allowing them the space to explore their development and understand that they are capable of eating on their own, that they are capable of independent sleep? Or are we kind of saying, well, I'm going to do this for you? Because children like independence. They want to learn how to do things on their own. And in those toddler years, you know, after one year of age, this is all very important. 
I often remind parents on my social media and even in my office that if you're struggling with any of these areas, right, eating, sleep, and behavior, definitely speak to your pediatrician, especially if it's affecting two or more of these areas. When it's starting to affect a few areas, I'm, I'm concerned about a few things. One I want to know, is the child developmentally able to understand what we're trying to teach them? For example, with tantrums, are you doing boundary setting? Or is it that you're doing boundary setting and they're not learning what you're trying to teach them? Those are two very different things. In one standpoint, it's the parental responsibility. In another standpoint, it's the child's developmental ability to understand what we're trying to teach them. So I think there is a misconception that we always, people seem to blame the parent sometimes for a child's behavior. Like, oh, well, you're, you're not setting enough boundaries or you're not doing this and your child's acting like this. But maybe we need to assess the child's neurodiversity. Is there something like autism going on? Is there something like ADHD going on? Is there something else going on that we need to maybe change the approach on how we're parenting our child versus, you know, putting our parenting style onto our child that it may not be sticking. So we need to remember that when we parent, which is why I, I advise parents all the time, be careful of getting into one parenting style. When you start to say that I'm a positive parent or I'm an attachment parent or I'm an authoritative parent, you may get into a very big pitfall where you are not meeting your child and what they need. So I think it's really important to know all the different strategies to attack an issue at hand, a picky eater, a sleep issue, a tantrum, because maybe your child may need a different method than what you thought you would like, or maybe what you're being told by certain, you know, specialists, or certain accounts on social media. I really like that. As somebody who likes to do research, sometimes I'll like latch on to something and be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do all the research on this. And then if it doesn't work out for Lucy or Micah, I'm like, wait, am I doing something wrong? But it can be on the child's end that they just need something different. So that's a really, yeah. really good reminder. Like, remember, it's nature and nurture, right? So it's 100% um, nature, 100% nurture. It's not one or the other. So we can't always say that it's our parenting style. It's also the child's nature. And we see that in twins, right? One twin will be an excellent sleeper. The other twin will need more um, attachment. And that is really natural. And that's really normal. But it's up to the parent to decide, well, how am I going to navigate this with the strategies that I have? So completely agree with what you're saying, too. But with this, what about for those of us who worry that we still aren't doing it right? So I know for me, when I worry, I generally notice when things start to go wrong. I get more frazzled and then all of a sudden I start to make a lot more mistakes. So is there any ways that we can reduce this, I mean, lack of a better term, scatterbrainedness and maybe being so worrisome, maybe try to focus on being more rational, being more collected? Do you have any tidbits on that? Yeah, well, it is okay to worry from time to time, right? Remember that some degree of anxiety is healthy. It's what allows us to stay vigilant. It's what allows us to take care of our young. So it's it's psychological, right? So don't worry so much if you have those worries that come into your brain from time to time. What I'm concerned about is when it's consuming you where you can't sleep, you can't do normal activities, you feel that chest pain, pounding sensation in your, in your body, you're physically starting to feel the symptoms of anxiety. My advice would be, you know, focus on what you can control. I talk about milestones a lot and parents are often very worried about milestones. And when you are worried about milestones, I want you to ask yourself, am I worried about milestones because I'm afraid of what other people are going to think if my child is not meeting X, Y, and Z milestone? Or am I worried that I want the best outcome for my child for their trajectory. There's two very different pieces there. On one standpoint, you're worried about, well, so-and-so met a milestone at nine months. Why is my child not? That's a comparison game. You're going to go down a very vicious um, path if you do that. The other one is I want to know about milestones because I want to give my own child the best outcome for themselves. It's how I approached Ryan and his stroke. 
So I knew when Ryan had the stroke diagnosis from the beginning, there may be a chance that he may not meet his milestones at the rate of other children because of his stroke. And I said to myself, that's fine. Why I am engaging with my son is not to compare him to other people. I don't care if he's saying 30 words by the time he's 18 months. I don't care if he's walking at 15 months versus nine months. That's not what's important to me. What's important to me is that I'm engaging with my son to give him the best outcome because of what happened for him. And when you start to focus on your child and no one else, you're going to see them reach the milestones they're meant to have, right? Every child is different. Every child's brain is wired different. So we have to understand that these are not milestones that you get an award for. These are just ways for us to say, okay, maybe we need to evaluate and get your child some different services or intervention. It's not a award system or a goal. It's a let's do this so that we can give the best outcome for your child. So when you are starting to feel this worry, this over, you know, over pounding doom that happens when you're like, I just am so worried about everything. First, focus on the positives. Focus on what your child is doing, the things that you're doing in a positive way. Focus on the things that you can control. Remember that you cannot control everything in your child's life. Your child will fall. Your child will have injury. But what can we do to reduce hazards in the home? How can I get educated about car seat safety, right? Focus on the big things that can be very big, impactful injuries, right? And then with all the little things, you're going to focus on, okay, removing hazards and all that. And then lastly, get your information from the right place and limit contradictory advice. If you're feeling overwhelmed, I want you to just turn off the place that's making you overwhelmed. If it's social media, take a one week break. If it's a friend, kindly say just, you know, I need some time. I'm going through some stuff. You need to remove yourself from the people or places or things that are causing you to trigger your anxiety. And you are the only one who knows that. Um, no one else can tell you that. And you shouldn't have to explain yourself if you need to take a break from the people that are making you more anxious or the accounts on social media that are making you more anxious. It's important for our mental health so that we can be better there for our children. And another quick break to bring up one of our newest sponsors, which is Rothy's Shoes. You guys, if you haven't tried these, the number one way to describe them is comfortable. They're so comfortable. They are so cute. And I wish I would have found them a long time ago because they make walking to and from places so much easier. And I know when I'm wearing them that I'm automatically going to be in style, which I have a huge issue with. Whenever Amy orders something, I'm like, you know what? Just order me two. She has the point in black and I am definitely going to stag myself a pair. This one has over five thousand near perfect reviews. So if you're looking for a place to start, the point in black is an awesome place to start. I also love them because I get my shoes dirty, like really dirty. Owen actually peed on one of my, my Rothy shoes. I was so ticked right at first. And then I realized you can throw these in the washing machine. I had no idea you could do this, but because they're made out of recycled water bottles, you can toss them in the washing machine and wash them super easily. So we do have a discount for you guys. So if you want to upgrade your closet with washable, sustainable, and stylish shoes, Rothy's is definitely a place to start. You can head to rothys.com slash herself to find your favorite new shoes today. Again, that's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash herself. Yeah, setting those boundaries for yourself and for your family, for that matter, to make sure that you're able to focus on the right things. And before we started this interview, we were talking a little bit about this, but over the past year, a lot of things have changed. We can list off all of the things that look different for adults, but our children are also being affected by these changes. Do you feel like the pandemic will have a long lasting effect 
on this up and coming generation, these kiddos that have gone through all of the masking, the staying home from school, then now we're going back to school, then oh, we can't see our grandparents. Like, will this impact our children in the long term? I don't think so. Remember that the human brain is very adaptable and also is very resilient. And we know this from newborns, we know this from babies, but also teenagers and also us, right? A period of one to two years of what we're going through doesn't mean that it's going to stay with us for the rest of our life. It's going to be tough to get through it. But it all goes back to the validation of feelings, right? If we said that, okay, this is fine, it's okay, everyone's going through it, doesn't matter, my issues are not important, it's going to take those people a lot longer to move back into life and also just feel that sort of happiness again. But the people that actually were like, yeah, this really sucked. Yeah, I want to talk to someone about this. Yeah, I really need some help to getting through this and coping with this. I'm not as concerned about those people because they are getting the validation, they're moving through the feels, and they're going through all of the emotions that this pandemic has brought us. I am very concerned about mothers more than the children in the pandemic, right? Our lack of ability to socialize with other human beings has been a huge detriment in my opinion. Many moms are not extroverts, but even if you're not an extrovert, we need that sort of human interaction from time to time as mothers, whether it's just someone else to do a play date with so that you can sit back and watch your children play with another kid, whether it's a walk like you you guys did together. I mean, these are all things that add to our emotional tank that we can have all of these enriching experiences so that we don't feel burnout, right? Mom burnout, that is what we have seen so much in this pandemic. So I want us to take care of ourselves. I want you to stop worrying about your kids and focus on what you're feeling, because if you're not in a good mental state, your child will not be in a good mental state. You need to be there for your kid. And that means doing whatever you need to do, safety precautions and check, of course, with COVID to get back into that mental state, socialization, whatever you need to fill your cup. This entire episode has been full of such good reminders on not just focusing on our kids. As as mothers, we sometimes do that. We get into this role, we wear this mother hat, we wear it very proudly, but then we forget about ourselves in the process when in many times, in many situations, it's focusing on us that will be the building block to how our children can flourish and learn and grow in the future. So just such good reminders. It's been a pleasure to have you on. I am such a big fan of yours and it was on Pete's Doc Talk. It was episode 58, I think, where we talked all about Down syndrome awareness. So if you want to hear more about our Down syndrome journey, episode 58 is definitely an incredible place to start. So aside from your podcast, Dr. Mona, please tell everyone where they can find more of you. Oh, it was so great having you on the podcast. Thanks again for doing that. Um, besides my podcast, you can find me on Instagram at pedsdoctalk, P-E-D-S-D-O-C talk. And I also have a YouTube channel, which is pedsdoctalk TV. So anything pedsdoctalk is pretty much on all of those three major social media platforms. I think that's all I have time for right now in terms of social media platforms. I think it's enough. <laughs> TikTok, TikTok probably won't happen anytime soon. But yeah, you can find me there. I do Q&As um, on my Instagram once a month. You can also call into my podcast. I answer questions about parenting, motherhood, life, child health and wellness. So there's so many ways to talk to me, reach me. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, it was such a pleasure. And if you guys liked this episode, please go ahead and share it into your Instagram story, tagging herself podcast and at Pete's Doc Talk. <laughs> <laughs>